Thank you so much. It's a pleasure and a joy to be with you guys. Actually, the first time I also heard Bethany speak, I felt that, uh, well, I'm an immigrant, I'm a foreigner, so I felt as if I was in a foreign land where nobody speaks my language, I'm referring to a spiritual language, and all of a sudden, I heard someone in a restaurant somewhere that speaks my language. Oh, wow, this, this person understands what I'm talking about, and it was just a, a delight. <clears throat> What is in my heart to share with you briefly today is a subject that the Lord stirred me with. And it's the subject of the glory of God in the midst of His people and its relationship to revival. As an introduction to that, I'm going to just uh, talk a little bit about understanding of the times or discerning the times. Now, Jesus repeated a particular phrase in His ministry numerous times. He said, he who has an ear, let him hear. In the book of Revelations in particular, he repeated that phrase several times, seven times. Each time he spoke to a specific group of believers in a specific geographical location. And each message was different and tailored to the spiritual and moral condition of that church. E.W. Dozer said this. He said, what God has to say to us depends altogether on the spiritual and moral conditions of us. We can see that from the scripture, that God, what God said to King Ahab was different than we said to King Hezekiah. And what he said to Israel was different depending on their spiritual and moral condition. This is very important. For us, because we need the Holy Spirit to discern what God is saying to us, rather than mechanically choose verses of Scripture that we like to say this is what God is saying to us today. For example, God's word to Israel at the time of King Jehoshaphat and King Hezekiah uh, in Isaiah 34 was that God was going to deliver Israel from the threat of the enemy. But God's words to Israel in the time of Jeremiah and in the time of Joel and in the time of Jesus was that God was going to deal with Israel in a chastising way so he was not going to deliver them from the enemy. So as we look at the scriptures and try to understand what God is saying, it is important that we hear what the Spirit is saying to us. Again, rather than mechanically look for something positive to affirm ourselves and be comfortable. Amen? Amen. Good. I think I'm in the right crowd here. <laughs> um, it's very, very important to understand God's dealings with us. Now there's a word in the scripture of God's dealings. It's called judgments. God's judgments. Now the word judgments does not mean punishment or uh, it means decrees. Much like a decree issued by a court. So when the scripture talks about God's judgments, it talks about God's decrees rather than necessarily God's punishment. At times, God's decrees are, uh, behold the kindness and the severity of the Lord, but they're both decrees. Mm -hmm. 
So, the scripture talks about the importance of understanding God's judgments or decrees or dealings and contrasts for us, very specifically, generations who understood what God is doing and saying versus others that didn't. So in 1 Chronicles, uh, maybe 2 Chronicles, uh, chapter 12, uh, it talks about the sons of Issachar who understood yeah. their times and knew what Israel ought to do. In contrast, in Luke 19, Jesus wept over Jerusalem because they did not understand the time of their visitation. So it's very, very important for us. Again, this is just a subject that's very important to me because I run into this all the time. It's very important for us to not mechanically choose a scripture that we like and say this is what God is saying for us today. Now, <clears throat> imagine, for example, when Jesus uh, is speaking to the seven uh, churches of the Revelations and speaking words of loving correction, saying, uh, I have this against you, or saying, uh, hold on to what you have, otherwise I will take your lampstand, um, from, remove your lampstand. Imagine if those people heard some of the teachings that is popular today, that, you know what, just confess who you are in Christ, just, you know, affirm who you are in Christ, and dismiss any correction. Are you following what I'm trying to say? So it's very important for us to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Now, <clears throat> what is the Holy Spirit saying to us today? Well, in Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul says that um, he uses a phrase saying, The Spirit testifies in every city that difficulties await me in Jerusalem. What he meant was that every city he went with, uh, he went to, people were saying to him, We have a sense, a witness of the Holy Spirit, that when you go to Jerusalem, you will have difficulties. Similarly, today, the Holy Spirit testifies in many believers, not just in Massachusetts or New England, not just in America, across the globe, the Holy Spirit is testifying something very similar. That the Lord is gathering His remnant, calling His remnant all over the globe, and putting in them a cry to see the glory of God in the midst of the church and the subsequent outbreak of revival. There is a witness of the Holy Spirit <clears throat> that the whole church is entering into a time spoken of at, in Isaiah 60. It says this, Arise and shine, for the glory of God is risen upon you. Behold, darkness will cover the earth and great darkness the people, but the glory of God will be seen upon you. Now, what that means is that we are entering a time where both simultaneous darkness, difficulty, and glory, glory for the church, in the middle of darkness, the darkness will be economic chaos, uh, you know, wars, and so forth, whatever it is, form of darkness, but we will enter a time into a simultaneous glory and difficulty. 
And this is the witness of the Holy Spirit to many people across the globe. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, <clears throat> simultaneously with the rise of this prophetic voice, we have to understand that there is also a rise in the false prophets mm -hmm. and the false yeah. teachings yeah. and the rise of apostasy. Yeah. This should neither come as a surprise nor as an alarm because Jesus told us in the parable of the wheat and the tare that he says, let them grow together. Yeah. Now, if, if he consulted us on how she, he should run his kingdom, we would probably advise him that it's a good thing to take care of the you know, tare right away yeah. you know, because it's yeah. just confusing. But, you know, we were not consulted really. And... Uh, uh, and in God's wisdom, he has far more patience, yeah. far more long-suffering and love than we do. So he let them grow together. Mm -hmm. So we have to be aware that there is simultaneously a rise in the prophetic yeah. voice together with the rise of the false prophets, false teachers, and so forth. Are you following me? Yeah. So, what is the glory of God in our midst. The, what I mean by the glory of God, the, the scripture talks about many aspects of the glory of God, but one aspect equates the glory of God with the manifest presence of God. As you know, the manifest presence of God simply means that <clears throat> yeah, God is everywhere. If you go to Dunkin' Donuts or Panera Bread, God is there. Mm -hmm. But He is manifest as we, when He discloses His presence, mm -hmm we become acutely aware of His presence. So, when you are in a place when God begins to disclose His presence, you might feel your heart tender a bit like this, this worship this morning, a, a little while ago. You might tear up a little bit, and if God increased the intensity of His presence a little bit more, you might feel compelled to kneel down like John in Revelations. You might fall down. So the manifest presence of God is that when God, who is omnipresence, discloses His presence, manifests His presence, and we become acutely aware of it. Now, this presence is the inheritance of God's people. In Exodus 33, Moses tells God, <clears throat> uh, what distinguishes us from all the people across the face of the earth if not for your presence. Yeah. And this is the same with us. Our inheritance, we should be distinguished as God's yeah. people, not by our creeds, not by our values that we are pro-life and against this and against that, but we are to be distinguished by God's manifest presence yeah. so that when unbelievers walk in our midst, they would say, surely God is among you. Now, not all generations of Israel experienced that. So the generation of Israel during the time of Moses and during the time of Joshua experienced that presence to the extent that unbelievers around them recognized that God was yeah. in their midst. So we see uh, <clears throat> Rahab telling Joshua in Joshua chapter 2, we have heard of your God. And whenever God's presence was among His people, the unbelievers around them recognized who He is. So King Nebuchadnezzar would tell uh, Daniel, 
and King Darius, your God yeah. is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. When the generation of Israel that went into the Babylonian captivity because God's chastisement on Israel, the presence of God lifted of them and the nations around them, instead of recognizing that God is in their midst, instead of telling them, we have heard of your God, told them, where is your God? And hence the prayers in the scriptures, let's say, in Joel, for example, in Joel 2, where it says, why should the nation say, where is your God? In Isaiah um, 64, where it says, rend the heavens and come down, it says, rend the heavens and come down, make your name known to your enemies. So it is this cry of God's people for their inheritance to say, God, this is our inheritance, that the nations would recognize that you are in our midst. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> so, what happens is that when the presence of God rests upon his people, revival is a natural byproduct. We always, we're always praying for revival. Revival is a natural byproduct for the presence of God among his people. So, <clears throat> the definition of revival in the scripture, as we understand it, is when God does work among his people, that he becomes known in the land they're in through his work on his people. It's not really uh, work restricted to the believers when we are encouraged and so forth. It just it works that God becomes known and validated and famous because of the work that he does among his people. Uh, and revival in the scripture comes not really in a sanitary conditions all the time. Uh, in the book of Acts, we see multiple dynamics happening. We see multitudes of people coming to Christ. We see persecution of the church. People literally running for their lives. And uh, uh, we also see martyrdom. And we see simultaneously the fear of the Lord falling upon everybody, believers and unbelievers, and at the same time, persecution. So, it's somewhat of a paradox. Yeah. But the result of revival is that God became known in the pagan Roman Empire because of what he was doing among his people. <clears throat> so, it has always been God's heart to disclose his presence, to be known when he works among his people, even as far back as uh, before the Gentiles entered into uh, God's covenant. So, for example, in Exodus chapter 7, when God worked among the Israelites and delivered them from Egypt, it says this, And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretched out my hand when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel. It's very interesting to see the heart of the Lord as he desires to be known through his work among his people. It says the same thing in Ezekiel 36 when he restored uh, Israel from the Babylonian captivity. It says this, And the nations, the Gentiles, shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. Another verse in Ezekiel 39 says the same thing. 
So I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people, Israel. Then the nations shall know that I am the Lord. So this desire in God's heart has been in the very beginning, in fact, as far back as <clears throat> when he commanded Moses to build a tabernacle. He says this, Build me a tabernacle that I may dwell with the children of Israel. And then, in the New Testament, grafting in the Gentiles, it says in 2 Corinthians 6.16, it says, And I will walk, I will be in them and walk among them. Being in us speaks of Christ in us individually, but walking among us speaks of that corporate presence, which is our inheritance. So I'm going to read to you a few um, excerpts from some of the previous awakenings that occurred in this country and also in the Welsh Revival. This is from Jonathan Edwards that uh, talks about what happened in the revival then. <clears throat> it says this, um, at that time, God's work in the conversion of souls was carried on amongst us in so wonderful a manner that so far as I can judge, it appears to have been at the rate of at least four persons a day, 30 a week, take one another for five to six weeks together. Several persons have had so great a sense of the glory of God and excellency of Christ that nature and life seemed almost to sink under it. And in all probability, if God had showed them a little more of himself, it would have dissolved their frame. That's what I'm talking about when God discloses his presence. Another piece says this. This work of God, as it was carried on, and the number of true saints multiplied, soon made a glorious alteration in the town, not just in the church, in the town. The town seemed to be full of the presence of God. In the Welsh Revival, <clears throat> it shook the nation so much that it was reported in the London Times. And this is what the London Times said. The Times observed that the whole population had been suddenly stirred by a common impulse. Religion had become the absorbing interest of their lives. They had gathered at crowded services for six and eight hours at a time. Political meetings and even football matches were postponed. So <clears throat> the story of Elijah is a good illustration of <clears throat> revival, actually, is, is how does revival occur? Now, this is another thing about the true prophetic voice and the false prophetic voice. We see that if you gather 100,000 people in a stadium and you ask them, do you want to see the glory of God, I mean, the believers? Of course, they all want to see the glory of God. But what they differ is, is their understanding or their uh, conviction as to how that occurs. So <clears throat> the story of Elijah is a good example, uh, figuratively, in this. First, Elijah repaired the broken altar. Elijah arrived on the scene at a time where... Israel was in decline and is, was in apostasy, where much of Israel was actually worshipping Baal. So Elijah appeared 
on the scene as a true prophetic voice. And the first thing he did was to repair the broken altar, which means it symbolizes repentance. And then <clears throat> he prayed, which symbolizes the prayer movement after repentance. And then what happens is God manifested himself. The fire came in the sight of all believers and unbelievers, those who were worshipping Baal and those who were worshipping Jehovah. And the result was that everybody cried out, both those who were worshipping Baal and those who were worshipping God, the Lord, He is God, He is God. Another result of revival in the scripture is that it results in change of the evil laws of the land or the evil decrees of the land. So we see that in the story of Esther. So as God moved upon his people, uh, the time of Esther and Mordecai, the evil decrees of the king to kill the Jews were reversed. They were reversed after God manifested his presence and worked among his people publicly. Some people, uh, some people say that, that, that we already have you know, the glory of God because we are like, you know, Jesus in us, so we, we can just declare you know, the glory to be here. The scripture clearly teaches that the declaring is not by our words, but actually by our consecration. That God manifests His presence in His people when they are consecrated to Him. I'm going to close with this. There's a story, in, a very interesting story about this subject in Ezekiel 33. Where in Ezekiel 33, God tells Ezekiel, Son of man, the people who live in this land say, uh, Moses was only one man. But he took the land. We are many. The land has been given to us. We will take the land. So the, the Lord tells Ezekiel to them, Shall they take the land with sin in their midst? Mm -hmm. In other words, it's not our words to declare that causes the revival or God's purposes to be here. It's our consecration. And righteousness. Amen? Amen. Finally, I'm going to close with this verse, Isaiah 57, 14. Build up, build up, prepare the road, remove the obstacles out of the way of my people. And I believe this is the Lord is calling the remnant, including you guys, to speak forth His word, to prepare the way of the Lord. Removing the obstacles, part of it is is proclaiming the truth and dispelling the false ideas and the false yeah. teachings. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's just pray. Lord, uh, we thank you that you are raising your remnant. Yes. We thank you that your word to us is the word of Jeremiah yes. in our captivity that your plans for us is for good and not for evil. Amen. We thank you that even as darkness covers the earth, your promise of your glory Amen. upon us yes. is coming. Yes. We thank you, Lord, and we just ask that you give us yes. ears to hear Amen. and eyes to Amen. see what you are Amen. saying and doing. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.
That's great word. Thank you, Mandua. Uh, we still have plenty of time. We're not going to keep you much later, but man, his uh, closing remarks really struck my heart uh, about uh, it's not necessarily our words uh, that brings about the glory of God, but it's uh, the level of our consecration. And Man, such truth. Uh, I love what God's doing, even as we're focused on the book of Acts, and now we're talking about revival, we get to some of the history of past revivals, but, you know, our desire for revival can, it can be so strong, but if it's not to the level of our consecration, if it's not to the level of just living a surrendered life unto the Lord, then it's, it's all in vain, really, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm taking myself, I'm putting my heart there, uh, uh, just, um, boiling it down to the brass tacks and uh, you know if if this truth has struck your heart today about consecration amongst everything that he talked about such a beautiful presentation uh, I want to just offer a time of prayer you know uh, that the Lord would consecrate us you know isn't that the objective you know that God saves you but then he cleans you you know he cleans us he he, 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 through the process of sanctification and consecration, the Lord begins to, to release us, to release His glory. And I know that's our primary focus, is the house of prayers, the justice house of prayers, that just not we're uh, in the four walls and praying for revival, but literally the spirit of revival begins to grip our own hearts. And, and, and the manifestation of that is a consecrated people. What does consecration mean? I, I mean, I think that word in itself needs to be redefined within our minds. You know, we boil things. Well, it's not by my works. It's not by my own righteousness. I get that. It's, that's awesome. But there's a level where we begin to partner with God and we say, Lord, come, come into the inner chambers of my heart, my decisions, the way I handle my finances, the way I handle my sexuality, uh, you know, the way I speak, the way I study, everything begins the Lord's hands just in the midst of it an open heart. So I want to encourage you if uh, if anybody here tonight needs prayer uh, for anything personal, we want to, as we have plenty of time to offer uh, just the laying on of hands and agreement with one another that truly not just in this room but even upon our generation. You know, there's tons of Christians just immersed in sin without any kind of conscience to say Lord purify me. There's no there's no kind of reality between their actions and their sin life and what the Lord wants to do in their heart. And, and it's not just for us here today. I believe this is a word that speaks to our generation, that which the Father wants to do in us young people, purify our lives. You know, come on, I'm for it, man. I mean, even though sometimes my own life may not match up with the message of consecration, the bent of my heart is, Lord, purify me. You know, it's not that I'm there. I'm not speaking as if I've arrived. My heart is, nevertheless, Lord, I'm your son. Come and purify my heart, purify my life. If you need prayer in any manner of consecration, I want to encourage you. Um, if Noah and uh, Steve can just move the first front rows, we're not going to spend a lot of time with it. It's a beautiful day. But you just need some agreement. Maybe just uh, you know, one way often that I find I can get to the place of consecration is just being transparent with a close brother. That can literally pray for me. It's just that, yeah, but you don't have to go crazy. I just, I just want to take that. You know, it's just uh, the one, one way that I find that I can 
achieve levels of, of consecration in my life, if I'm struggling with something, it's just open and honest, transparent conversation with a brother or a friend of mine. And say, hey, this is what I'm going through. This is where my heart's at. This is, what, you know, whatever the situation might be. And, um, even if that's what takes place, we have Noah, we have me, GA, Abe's here, Steve, we want to pray for you. So if you need prayer on any topic, anything, anything, and in, in, in regards to the Lord wanting to consecrate us, we just want to respond. You know, it's awkward. There's always a little bit of, uh, should I go, should I go? I, want to, I just want to encourage you, if you feel the tug of the Holy Spirit, if you feel any tug at all, naturally, I think that is God, and He is saying you're take a little time. without responding.
Father, we acknowledge before you, Lord, that we desire to honor you. God, even as this song says, it is our desire to not just serve you with our words, but also our deeds, Lord, that the way we live, God, make our decisions, make our choices, God. We ask, Lord, just for the grace, Lord, to, to go deep, God, in the understanding of consecration, Lord. Lord, we ask, Lord, that every person that has responded, and Lord, every person sitting out in the seats, Lord, that they would leave this place encouraged, strengthened in their faith, Lord, to go after you harder, Lord, and to serve you, God, to serve you, Lord, in a consecrated manner. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys can be seated. I don't think we have any more to go over. But I really want you to be encouraged that um, 